0: Hey, this is Annie and Samantha, and welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. Today we have another episode of Book Club for you, and we are very excited to be Yay. talking about. Unapologetic, A Black, Queer, and Feminist Mandate for Radical Movements by Charlene A. Carruthers. And this is a very timely book for a lot of reasons, probably a lot of them obvious. It takes a look at black intellectual thought and organizing and grassroots movements like the Haitian Revolution, the Civil Rights Movement here in the United States, um, feminism, and the LGBTQ plus movements, to provide a flexible model for for organizing while also calling for a more queer and feminist approach to black liberation and a more radical approach as well. The book delves into all the tools of white supremacy that white supremacy uses to function to keep oppressors in power, tools like the patriarchy and feminism and homophobia and ableism. Through her years of organizing, Crothers also has recommendations for improving the longevity and effectiveness of social justice movements with things like healing justice within these movements themselves and developing leaders. So, very, very timely, yes. Uh, she also re examines several of the common
1: issues that come up in organizing the unhelpful comparisons to past movements or the generational disconnect, social media infighting, burnout, questions of accountability, pinning hopes on one single leader, past and present, and only remembering the good things a leader did and not the problematic aspects and how that hinders social justice movements. And she knows what she's talking about. Uh, She wrote, quote, Since 2013, I have steered the growth and development of BYP 100, which is the Black Youth Project 100, and one of the most prolific and integral black liberation movement organizations of the 21st century.
0: Yes. um, And I very much enjoyed this book. Uh, It's a pretty quick, quick read, but there's just so much, a wealth of information in there. Um, Right. Yeah, so if you haven't read it yet, highly, highly recommend that you do. Uh, We did want to start with some definitions before we get too much into discussion, because uh, just so we're all on the same uh, page. (laughs) Um, So one is queer. Um, Carruthers defines it, quote, Queer as I am defining it here represents a continuum of possibilities outside of what are considered to be normal sexual or gender identities and behaviors. And she defines
1: the Black queer feminist lens as she says, quote, The Black queer feminist lens is a political praxis, practice and theory based in Black feminist and LGBTQ traditions and knowledge through which people and groups see to bring their full selves into the process of dismantling all the systems of oppression.
0: So this Black queer feminist lens is so important throughout the book um, and it's frequently shortened to BQF, but it's... Her approach is all about centering that right. um, using that as not only a guidance but in the title, like a mandate um, right. just really using it to to inform uh how to organize and
1: just a kind of a an understanding that that's what's being left out in most movements and why it's so important today
0: exactly yeah um, and we also wanted to include this quote that from the book about the unique oppression of black people. Anti-blackness is a system of beliefs and practices that attack, erode, and limit the humanity of black people. It was cultivated through the transatlantic slave trade and continues today in the policies and practices of nation states, corporations, individuals, and entire societies.
1: Right. So, we did want to talk a little bit about themes. Um, Carruthers makes an impassioned and informed case for the power of organizing. Early on in the book, she quotes Frederick Douglass quote, power concedes nothing without a demand. And she says, I believe that we must go further and say that power concedes nothing without
0: an organized demand. Right. So, let's talk about organizing. It's pretty key in right. the book. Um, she writes, organizing by using the black queer feminist lens calls for us to be individuals and to work collectively, with neither being at the expense of the other. And that, that's one thing I really loved about um, her approach. And this isn't really uh, an autobiography. She, there are some personal stories throughout, but um, there it's more lessons learned and history, just this all of this history of... Um, black liberation movements and radical movements. Um, But I loved how she really emphasized that there needs to be both sort of this individual, what do I want? What am I fighting for? What do I want to see? But also collectively, because you can't achieve something in a vacuum. Like you need to work together. Right. Um, She also talks about activism versus community organizing, two important foundations, um, developing leaders and strategizing to take Action. Um, Also, note not all community organizing is radical. Many work to keep systems of oppression in place. Oh, and those call outs are pretty hard. Yeah. (laughs) You read the
1: book. So, asking yourself what world do you want to build and what do you want for future generations? Who are you? Who are your people?
0: What do you want? What are we building and are we ready to win? Yeah, having those answers in place. Um, will really help guide you and, and what you feel that you can uh, contribute and what you do want to see and what you're fighting for because um, burnout is a big problem. Right. And she discusses the killing of Black imagination along with that, of imagining what this world that you're fighting for could look like um, and the importance of that imagination when it comes to envisioning this world that you want to to live in, and you want future generations to live in. Um, She also discusses the importance of transformative change as opposed to reforms. Um, So, for example, she describes a quote from a Black actress, I believe, of Black women being at the bottom of the social ladder um, and hanging on to that bottom rung. And Carruthers is a proponent of imagining a different ladder. Like instead of that, you've got to climb this ladder. Why do we have to have that ladder at all? Let's Mm -hmm. think outside of that. Let's get a better ladder. Yeah, or no ladder. Who knows? Let's get rid of the ladders. Yeah. That'd be lovely.
1: She also talks about the need for accountability in organizing. And um, one of the things that she does talk about within her own organizations is very raw, is the example of the Me Too movement within their own organization organization. She she writes in an amazing personal manner that really does feel like it hits close to home for anyone. And honestly, it's true. If the truth is that there are more women that are victimized than not, then we must also know the perpetrators of these incidents. And we have to hold that person or even just that accountable about what it is and what it seems. And and if we truly are saying believe women um, and believe victims, then how do we actually do that in regards to people we know, that people we respected and worked with, um, and just realizing at the same time that these truths can be devastating. And I found her... uh, relaying of incidents with that happening with her leadership in her own program was really beautifully raw. Of course, there was mm-hmm. it was kind of on of those levels of how do we handle it? What does it come down to? And how do we hold our own accountable? And without completely ostracizing someone and completely giving up on someone, but at the same time making sure that they take responsibility in their part to this. So it was definitely a nice insight to see how she opened up about her own struggles and trying to come face to face when she has to be the one that says, what do we do? How do we handle this? And what do we do when it's our friend?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I really appreciated that too. And I could feel like the anxiety in my own stomach reading that, of right. what would I do. Right. Um, and I've thought about it because, unfortunately, as you say, the numbers just indicate right. I probably do know someone who's, done, who's been involved in some kind of non-consensual sexual thing, and that's a scary thought of what, what you would do, but I, you know you have to, you have to hold people accountable for their right. actions.
1: You have to live and, out what you say, and if we truly exactly. believe that victims need to be believed, and there's so much connotation to how do we do that, and at the same time, how do we do that as an organization that's supposed to be a leadership yeah. organization to impact these type of wrongs and to make change right. to these types of wrongs? That's a whole big nutshell that you have to undo. Oh yeah. Oh that you yeah.
0: Have to crack at the time. Uh, her, this organization BYP 100 was in like the national spotlight before right. this happened right. like it was a very stressful right um oh I felt that series of events.
1: <laughs> for <Yeah>. sure <laughs>
0: oh yeah <laughs> um so we do have other themes that we want to touch on but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor Back. Thank you, sponsor. Something else the book examines that we wanted to discuss is gendered violence and anti-blackness. So in the book, she quotes Beth E. Ritchie, who is a scholar and anti-violence activist. And Richie wrote, surrounding the violence matrix is the tangled web of structural disadvantages, institutionalized racism, gender domination, class exportation, heteropatriarchy, and other forms of oppression that lock the abuse of black women in place. Responses need to be developed that take all the forms of abuse and all of the spheres within which injustice occurs into account.
1: Mm-hmm. Carruthers uses the BQF in Richie's violence matrix to demonstrate how all of this violence is connected social spheres, communities home, governments, corporations and how the U.S. normalizes violence against black people, women LGBTQ plus community by limiting access to health care, not allowing self-determination in, in who gets funding
0: Yeah, so really driving the point home that all of these things are connected right. um, you can't separate out uh, sort of structural violence and say this is the only problem. But you have to recognize the influence they have on each other. Um, She is also adamant about not leaving people out, Carruthers is, of being inclusive in these movements. She writes, patriarchy and its offspring, homophobia and transphobia, have no place in our movement. To allow these to go unchecked is counter-revolutionary. If you're a liberation movement, as people on the sidelines are absent altogether, then it's not really liberatory. And later she goes on to say, I want the lie that black people cannot be black, queer, trans, and women at the same time to die a swift death. Right. I mean, she hits those
1: points pretty quickly, pretty fastly throughout the book. Um, and she's in studying Black liberation movements. Carruthers identifies three commitments movements should collectively make to regenerate. So one is a building many strong leaders. That means knowing your self-interest, which, woo. That's just a lofty goal in itself. That's just like a a year-long meditation session. Um, And also, not, quote, passing the torch. um, The need for multiple strong leaders and room to grow instead of just pulling at your own, the ones that you know. It should have an ability to bring in new ideas, new people.
0: Right. I love that. Um, It was a quote. She was quoting somebody, I can't remember who, um, but about passing the torch, and he said, there is no torch to pass. Right. Uh, Like if you're just waiting around for somebody to say... Give you that torch, yeah. Yeah, then you're not going to get much done. Um, The importance of creating spaces for healing. Uh, She writes, in the words of Cara Page from the Kindred Healing Justice Collective, healing justice identifies how we can holistically respond to and intervene on generational trauma and violence and to bring collective practices that can impact and transform the consequences of oppression on our bodies, hearts, and minds. Yeah. She also speaks about
1: how the term self-care needs to be rephrased. And it kind of hit me because we, what we actually need is the care of others to help us and to help each other. And it can't just be done by ourselves, but by your trusted collective. And I know it's a small bit of the book, but it did hit me pretty quickly. And obviously it hit her too, because she kind of sat there as she was speaking with a mentor and they said that to her. And she was just like, wait, oh, wait, what? Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's true that if, if it's a movement, if we're part of a movement, if this is a collective, we need those that we trust to help us in our care of ourselves as well.
0: Yeah, and that, that part um, of the book really resonated with me too, just because I, um, she talks a lot about how this work can be <laughs> almost always is very traumatizing. And when you're in it all the time, just the, the physical toll, like not only mentally and emotionally, but the physical toll it can take. Um, and then, as you say, or we say this in so many episodes that it, I don't think it was this one, but in a recent one, um, that can take you out of the game in which you're not helping anybody. Right. But it's, it can be so hard to tell yourself when there's so many things, so many. Injustices and wrongs to be corrected. There's this goal. Well, I have to keep going. I have to keep going. Right. Almost like I don't. I don't have time. It's not worth stopping. But you do need to take those moments right. and and have people in your community kind of share that with you and help you so that you can regenerate, which is right. what this whole is all a part of. So that. Yeah. movements and they don't die out or people just keep hurting oh, yeah. out of them. Right.
1: And I did yeah. love also, she did talk about, because it was so me. It is it is so me. It's be, especially being new to actually being a voice as opposed to being behind the scene mm-hmm. about being silenced and being so traumatized that you are silenced, that you do the bare minimum because you are petrified or just triggered so hard like you're emotionally, mm-hmm. physically not able to put into words what needs to be done. So therefore, you just sit silently and waiting, which is more harmful as well, which is like a double whammy. And she talks about that so loudly and about what that meant that she was saying that she would make a point but not make a point, that she would share something but not go to the depths of it because she couldn't put into words the trauma and the pain because she was continuing to suffer from the trauma and the pain, whether it was from the past experiences or just being re-victimized to that moment and being triggered in those moments from your past trauma. And I was like, oh my, ooh Damn, girl, you just got me. You just got me real hard. Because I, it, to me, one of the hardest things as an ally is to know when to speak and to know when not to speak. Right. And because of the trauma that I've, and both of us have gone through as children or as uh, later on in our adolescence and being silenced so hard through whether it was through violence, whether it was through abuse, um, or whether it was just pure neglect in general, that it kind of sits on you in a way, mm-hmm. in the level that you, that emotions to try to bring that courage up, to stand up for something that you know it is important and it is a heavy, heavy issue. It's stunting. It literally puts you in a place that you cannot grow. And not only that, you're frozen to try to put any action. So she talked about that and, and going beyond that, but it was, oh, it was too close to home for that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that that's a good segue into, um, so that was, Part one of her <laughs> three commitments that she thinks uh, movements should collectively make to regenerate. The second one is adopting healing justice as a core organizing value and practice, mm-hmm. and then uh, the third one is combating liberalism with principled struggle. Um, she compares social movements to the human body to to cells, like human beings being cells. Right. Um,
1: oh, again. This one was challenging for me because she isn't talking about the damage of white liberalism, although she does include it, but liberalism as a whole and how it has been bogged down by good intentions and honestly mixed with, if not grounded, with uh, the idea of capitalism and, and the growth of capitalism and the change of a movement that is too easy to compromise. And I guess, honestly, we can say this is where we are in our presidential election. This is exactly where we have come into this moment of liberalism. To me at one point in time was about freedom and rights and justice but as we talk about what is happening, liberalism is starting to become more of white speak for compromise and don't change too much but I want right. to be a better human than that person right you know and I was like, uh uh I'm not sure I can quite I'm not exactly sure if I can swallow all of this but I hear you and damn that's a lot
0: <laughs> yeah well she she Definitely goes into into that, and that's one of the things I really appreciated about her writing as well. Is she's um, very she doesn't romanticize things. No. So she, she talked about the Obama era and like the good things, but also all these bad right. things.
1: And that's what she um, stands on is that you cannot, as we said at the beginning, her her whole thing was you cannot sit here and pretend everything was great when it wasn't. And you have to acknowledge the faults in order to progress and to make change.
0: Yeah, and that is, she makes that point throughout. And I really, really appreciated it. Because it's true, if you're, like, ignoring all these other issues that are happening, if you're not using this um, kind of black, queer, feminist lens and are okay with these injustices, are, they're just not in your, your, you're not worried about them, then, yeah, things aren't going to change. Right. And the system will continue on. Right. So I really appreciated how she did that and and she did bring up with the liberalism and white liberalism how it is so often um black women working to get uh democrats elected or that has been the case for a long time and then not getting anything that they asked for. Right. <laughs> like being largely ignored. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um Another key aspect of the book and of organizing is understanding history and context. And in this sense, the history of black people and black radical movements. So Carruthers focuses in on a couple things, but one of them is the history of modern day Haiti, which was previously the militarized colony of San Domingo, which became the Western Hemisphere's first independent black nation. She uses Ella Baker's understanding of radicalism here, quote, in order for us as poor and oppressed people to become part of a society that is meaningful, the system under which we now exist has to be radically changed. This means that we are going to have to learn to think in radical terms. I use the term radical in its original meaning, getting down to and understanding the root cause. It means facing a system that does not lend itself to your needs and devising means by which you change that system.
1: So before the 1804 Haitian Revolution, enslaved Africans died from overworking or violence within 10 years on average. Over 1 million Haitian freedom fighters overthrew the French colonizers and established a black republic, the first in the Western Hemisphere. This disrupted the trade for France, the UK, and the US, and these countries made sure to make things Ridiculously difficult for Haiti, creating and exacerbating things like poverty, as we can see today.
0: And she expounds on this and hammers home the importance of telling the stories of Black radical traditions and recognizing contradictions to move forward, like the historical lack of LGBTQ plus voices, the lack of women's voices in some of these movements, um, even though a lot of times they were the ones doing the work. And a lot of these histories are missing from our popular narrative, the history that we popularly tell. Um, She uses the case of Mrs. Recy Taylor, who in 1944 was kidnapped and raped by 10 white men and boys. Investigating this, Rosa Parks organized, bringing together prominent black activists and organizations in Alabama, where this occurred, to create the Alabama Committee for Equal Justice for Mrs. Recy Taylor. The Chicago Defender labeled this campaign as the strongest effort for equality in a decade, led by Black women, this campaign drew level support in coalitions previously unseen, or at least uh, around that time, very, very uh, rare to see something like that, for combating the sexual violence Black women and girls faced. And uh, it became key in the fight for Black liberation taking place, but... Is largely not told. It's largely forgotten. Which is sad. And another yeah. example
1: she gives is Bayard Rustin, an openly gay black man being pushed aside for, quote, more palatable black leaders. Or the stories of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera that we touched on in our protest and organizing episodes.
0: Yeah, and she she makes the point that there is so much power in seeing yourself reflected um, in people like this in the liberation movement, the value of it when it comes to dismantling homophobia and transphobia in particular. But just being able to to see these people making these changes, being fighting this fight and and being powerful in it, and then thinking, you know, we always say, if you can see it, you can be it. It's, It's just, I don't know if people, I think people often forget that we mean that outside of uh, representation and entertainment.
1: Right. I think it's changed as recently. It's like, if you don't see it, become it. Yeah. I know that's become the new kind of power thing is, oh, we don't have that? Let me try this. Right. And I, I love
0: that. I love that. I do too. Yeah. And I mean, it definitely is changing now when we look at who is leading a lot of these social movements. Right. Uh, and, and like, again, uh, what they were before this, um, We just weren't seeing them or hearing about them as much. The Uh, fact that we
1: have to go through these depths of crisis in order to be willing to see who actually have been trying to push it forward. We've just been in a system where it is not advantageous for us to know of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and she makes the point, like, you have this big Hollywood movie with Sean Penn, like, multi-million dollar for milk, but you don't have, like, anything or Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. What if we did? Right. Uh, like with the same funding, not just uh, like on the same level. Right. Yeah. Yes. So we do have a little bit more for you listeners, but first we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. We're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we just wanted to touch on a few points um, that maybe particularly uh, hit home or resonated with us. And um, one for me was, I really appreciated her honesty in terms of feeling uh, doubt or that she wasn't sure what to do at times um, and making mistakes and growing and recognizing that. Um, And she shares the story of, uh a conversation she had with, with somebody who uh she was working with and he said uh, you know i'm not i'm not fully woke but i'm pretty woke or something right. like
1: that right he says uh i'm not quite i'm not fully
0: woke but i'm waking up yeah but uh, yeah basically being um there you you want to have room to grow there's no instance Where being like, oh, I'm perfect right now. I don't need anything else. That's never good. And I I feel like a lot of times um, we hold ourselves back or we hold ourselves to unachievable standards that do prevent us from being as effective as we can be when it comes to fighting for change. And I know we've talked about that in specific before when it comes to feminism and how for a long time I felt like Well, here are all these examples. I would have like examples. Well, I'm not a good feminist because of this and this. So how can I speak about it? Um, And it held me back and it kept me quiet. And that's the opposite of what we want and need right now. And when when I do think on it, especially as I've been on this show, there are things I look back that I've said or done or are times that I've really failed that I wish so desperately I could change. And it did keep me quiet. And it did keep me afraid for a long time. Um, but I learned from those things. Like as painful as it still is, I'm not gonna lie, some of this is still painful. I did, I learned from it. And you can't let that stand in the way of doing something. All right, well, like we were
1: talking about just being silenced and being so traumatized that we are silenced. Mm-hmm. And she did talk about also about um, not just canceling people without actually teaching people. And that's not the way to go either. Um, and we've talked about this before. And we've talked about cancel culture before. And I know mm-hmm. that's a big subject right now. With the Harper's article, we're not we're not going to talk about. But in the fact that there's nothing, nothing happens, no change happens just by saying you're wrong and dismissing them. But change happens when you can teach and, and, and show them what, is the better, or why is wrong, or what's happening. Um, Of course, the conversation would also be laid at the fact that we put that on, most of the times, uh, the marginalized community. We put that on people's shoulders who should not have to be responsible to be the burden to teach us or teach others Mm -hmm. um, on all of this. But yeah, I think it was, she was good at bringing up so many good, points, all like large and small, that I was just like, okay, how do I grasp all these? And she did talk about education um, and the work never being done. And that's a part right. of our responsibility as well. But she, I, she also did talk about that anti-blackness is adaptable in the face of resistance to oppression. Um, and I found that really like, oh, that's, that's true. It is. Um, and whether it's adaptable for people to say, but I'm not as racist as this or I'm not as racist as that and that's still anti-blackness when you say it in terms of these levels Um, and she talks about this also as an educational access being privileged and again I think that's kind of goes without saying which is part of the problem we see all the time is who's afforded the better education and why and why is it so limited and why is it so um, segregated for making sure those who are already in the good pl- spot to be elevated would continue to be elevated as not given to the opportunities for those who may have never had that same opportunities. And I thought that was a really good conversation about that as well, about growing and how not only do we need to look at this as problematic, but we also need to be willing to share that wealth of knowledge as well.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um I love that too. And I think that's something super, that's so important that we do share. I mean, exactly what she did. She did it in book form. Yes. But we share our knowledge of how, how do we make these things work or, um, what are lessons and that I've learned through my experience that I can share to someone who is a younger person or looking to lead or both of those things. Um, so that's not as intimidating and you can just be open with your experiences. And it 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 just oh, it's like the opposite of gatekeeping. <laughs> you, you know, you're like opening yes,
1: the gates. Yes.
0: We need to come up with a term for this. Is I'm really, sure okay. there already is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, it'll come anyway, to us later. Later. And we'll, we'll pretend and we'll be like very we embarrassed it all at how simple it was. <laughs> Um, Just the uh,
1: welcoming committee, the band welcoming committee.
0: It's being transparent, and I mean, she's very open about kind of radical honesty, right? Well, Uh, that's why it's unapologetic, and I love that. mm
1: -hmm. Everything
0: about this is
1: that's why I think is an an easy read, but a hard read. Right. Because everything matters. All those conversations is like, yes, okay. Oh, okay. I don't know if I... Oh, okay. Type everything in in all of that is how Mm -hmm. she kind of just makes sure that you're aware that she's seen these problems. She's had time to sit down and have conversations with people and see it in the system and see why it doesn't work. And this is why this has to be talked about. And it's all important. And I don't have time to be just cute and give you a cutesy analyzation of what might be wrong. It's literally, here it is. I'm not going to apologize for how honest it is and how organized it is. Like, she is absolutely there with a plan. It's a plan.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a guide. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and one of the things she touched on that I really liked um, is the importance of a multi-pronged approach, that there's not just one way to be an activist or to organize, that we do need all of these different ways, working in tandem, working together. Um, and you can tell, like she's seen some of this infighting of people, kind of judging others for this is the way to do it, and no other way. Yeah. Um, but it, again, that's keeping people out. You don't want to keep people out who are in this
1: fight, right? And <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. She definitely does an amazing job highlighting Black queer women who organized in history, and also just acknowledging what they had to do in order to dismantle so much of what is happening in today. So she does an amazing job in making sure she, she highlights Black queer women who have organized in history and acknowledging that in order to dismantle so much of what is happening is to dismantle sexism and racism and that one without the other is not fruitful. She does an amazing job in making sure we have a conversation about why intersectionality is so important and what that truly, truly means, um, which, again, she talks about uh Women in history, queer women in history, queer identifying, gender nonconforming uh, communities who would come together and, or maybe on their own, to try to dismantle the entirety of what is a problem, and it's not one without the other. And talking about why these people are so important and why it's been failing because oftentimes one ignores the other and you can't do that. Whether it's the suffragette movement with the white women saying, you know, it's all about us or versus some of the even civil rights movement, which talks about only black men and acknowledging only black men. Um, so I think that's kind of conversation that has to be the bigger point is we have to dismantle both in order to see any type of reform.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. And ableism as well. So many so many things yes. about being intersectional that we do have to keep in mind and they are all connected. Uh, and yeah, I guess in conclusion, this very timely, uh, very much needed uh, centering black queer women who have been doing the work and getting things done and, and what we can learn from them throughout history and right now without Forgetting or erasing them or being like a white lady showing up to your first protest and like, aha, I know what to do. Listen to me. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, Sharing knowledge about what has worked for her and what hasn't, um, lessons she's learned, how to move forward. It really is a great primer on organizing and and how we can um, be more efficient as we move forward. And also acknowledging that we have to allow the Black queer
1: women to lead or those identifying as women to be the leader in movements like this and why that's important and not trying to overtake for our own yes. purposes. Yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so definitely, definitely recommend. Um We... Uh, love getting these recommendations from you because I know some of your listeners wrote in about this one. Please keep sending those. We got to choose our next book and we want your help to do it. Our email is Stephmedia at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram at stuff i never told you or on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Podcast. Thanks as always to our super producer Andrew Howard. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told you is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.